Hey guys, Michael here with WeddingVideographySchool.com. Hope you guys are having a great day. I know I am. I'm uh, sitting in my car waiting for it to warm up here in snowy southern Colorado. Um, it's very cold outside, like 20 degrees. I think the high today might be like 32 or something. And uh, we just had a big snow. Well, not a big snow, but like four inches of snow uh, the other night. So uh, waiting on, still waiting on that to melt. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been crazy. I know some of you are like, "What? I thought he forgot about this podcast, or he abandoned it, or whatever." No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, I just have not had very much time to record anything lately. Because um, one, I'm coming out of a very busy wedding season, trying to get all my edits done, and it's taking me about a week and a half per project now um, because. We just had our second son two months ago. Uh, his, his name is Gus, and he's uh, just a little chunk of uh, baby meat. So uh, he's pretty helpless, so I, I end up having to do a lot with him. And uh, we've had my in-laws living with, with us for the past couple months as well, which on one hand is super helpful, but on the other hand, as anybody who <laughs> has had in-laws live with them for any extended period of time, you know that it can also um, be uh, difficult at times too. So that being said, super grateful for my in-laws and all the help that they're giving us. But um, yeah, it's it also has its, its moments of, uh, of difficulty as well. So been dealing with that and uh, also been working on a couple projects outside of wedding videography that I'm really excited about but can't really... Uh, share with anybody right now so um other than that uh <laughs> life is good there's just not a whole lot of free time to record podcast episodes and, and such so uh, but i do have a great episode today with uh russell nichols he's with rkn aerial imaging based out of the uk that's the united kingdom for those of you do not know <laughs> and uh yeah russell's russell's a good guy he got in touch with me a while back and we kind of chatted a little bit about uh recording an episode of the podcast now here we are uh, uh had a great conversation with him and did a great interview with him as well and uh i hope you guys enjoy listening to it Hey, Russell, thanks for uh, taking the time to chat with me today. I, I really appreciate it. I'm sure everybody who's listening does as well. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I've been um, been a long-time listener, and, yeah, it's really interesting to to hear um, stories of wedding videographers from America and Australia and all over. So, yeah, thank you very much for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, very cool. I, first off, go ahead and tell... Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, how you kind of got started um, with within the wedding industry and, you know, just a little background on 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 yourself. Yeah, cool. So I actually um, ever since I was a little kid, I was always interested in cameras. My dad bought me my first camera um, probably when I was about 12 or 13. I was probably one of the first kids at school to always have a digital camera on me. I've still got all of the, the pictures and video as well, going back to like 2012. Um, and yeah, just starting off as a hobby really. And when um, one of my friends was getting married, I offered to shoot her wedding for her. And that 
looking back at that now, that is, is quite embarrassing, really, because I didn't really know anything <laughs> about it. But it's always a people start somewhere. So, yeah, the the year after that, I I shot a, another friend's wedding, which was much much better. I was shooting on Nikon cameras back then. Um, everything just probably in auto mode um and then it kind of just really went from there more friends would ask me to do theirs and yeah i just really enjoyed doing it um when with my instagram details on my website i thought i wanted to start off mostly doing drone stuff rather than weddings um i remember when dji announced the the phantom series i was like wow i i need one of those um <laughs> So, yeah, I, I bought myself a Phantom 2, added a GoPro to it and crashed it a couple of times. But, yeah, it was it was good fun. Um, but then I realized in with British weather, you can't always, you don't always have a lot of time to fly the drone and the people's perception of drones and things. I think a lot of people um, had ne negative experiences with them. So I kind of concentrated more on the ground footage and that really became my my favorite thing to do my, ho my hobby time um and yeah it kind of just went from there i still do the drone stuff and i've got a shoot on a mavic 2 pro now which i use for my weddings um but yeah it just kind of went from there really word, word of mouth is where i tend to get all of my my bookings from um instagram and i'm always chasing the cinematic look so i, I try and make my videos look a lot different to to other people's here in the UK. I know in the US, the cinematic style is really popular. Uh, here in the UK, I think they just seem to, a lot of videographers' videos tend to look quite low budget. And I was kind of set out to see what cinematic look I could do on still a low budget, but try and push the boundaries of what people expect from a wedding film. So yeah, just something a bit more fun um, with catchy music and just something that shows people having fun because I think a lot of wedding videos they can look quite boring and and depressing so I just wanted to to switch things up and yeah here, here I am so that was probably I'd say the level that I've been doing it at now I'd say probably about two years or so I've been really pushing myself I think when you're a creator it's really hard to be satisfied with all the time with with um the results that you're getting you always want just want to keep pushing yourself and get better and better so i think we're always learning in that respect yeah and i've actually got your uh website pulled up right now uh if mm -hmm. you're listening you can look at it follow along or whatever at rkn uk. um so you said like with the drone stuff in in the UK, it's a little bit harder because of the weather. Are you, is it just like rainier or windier, or what's what's the general issue with yeah, that? Yeah, it rains. It rains most of the time. I think we have a few months of good sun, um, but also trying to find places where you can go and fly without disturbing people and the regulations that the um, the Civil Aviation Authority have imposed. You have to be really careful not to piss anybody off. Um, I did when I was flying it just for a hobby. I did ha have one lady come and confront me and say you shouldn't be doing that, and it kind of it put me off for a little while. I ended up putting the drone back in its case and not flying it for a little while. <laughs> yeah, I think I God, I feel like if you fly long enough, somebody's going to come up to you and start like giving you a hard yeah. time. And I've I I've definitely had that a few times. You get two types of people. I think you get people that are really interested in it and want to have a go. Um, 
or you get people that are really anti-drones. And I don't know if you heard on the news over there, but a little while ago, the London airports were shut down because of drone activity. Yeah, I did hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. So you wouldn't you wouldn't believe the amount of times I was at a wedding and people would say, oh, that wasn't you at the airport, was it? You know, if I had a, <laughs> uh, if I yeah. had a every time somebody said that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't need to shoot weddings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's one of those unfortunate things where you're, there's just going to be people out there that do things that they shouldn't do. And, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately kind of negatively affects everybody else. And that's just, that's the things that the news will report on, right? They yeah. won't report yeah. the, Oh, hundred, hundred thousand successful, uh, non-invasive drone flights this year. Just yeah. they'll do the one where the airport got shut down. Which is yeah, more interesting, that, for sure, but uh, well, it gives people yeah. a, a different perception than what reality is. So, yeah, definitely, they're they're introducing new drone laws as well. Um, this month in the UK, they're making sure that everybody has a serial number. You have to register with the government, um, so that might probably stop a lot of people, put people off from just buying them. Yeah, the yeah. Eventually, um, they'll probably enact the same things that we have over in the US, which is. If you want to fly for commercial purposes, including wedding videos, you're you're supposed to get your Part 107 uh, yeah. uh, license out here. So um, I assume that that'll probably happen over there at some point as well. Um, yeah, to, to be paid for any kind of um, commercial drone work, you do have to hold a PFCO, which stands for Permission for Commercial Operations. Um, so that was something I got a couple of years back now. Um, awesome. Yeah. And I, I, I encourage everybody to who's flying uh, for weddings and such to, to go out and do it. One, um, it's going to make you legal. Two, it's going to give you a better understanding of why um, it's it's not okay to necessarily fly in a certain area versus another area or in certain yeah. types of weather and stuff like that. So just from a safety aspect, I, I do think it's important. And uh, I know it's a pain. Like, I know that's extra money, it's extra time, it's extra effort, uh, but I, I, I overall oh, I think it's a great thing. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it cut, it cut off for a moment. There. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm, I'm getting. We're getting a little bit of that on our side as well, but I think we're okay for yeah. the most part. So I'll try to, we'll try to make cool. this work here. Uh, not easy communicating from uh, across. What do they call it? Across the pond, as they say. Across the pond. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never say that. I think that might be the first time those words have come out of my mouth. Uh, yeah. No, I've never said that either. Yeah. Uh, okay. So. I'm, I'm looking at your website and I'm looking at um, the color. Like I will say the one, the one thing that kind of stands out to me and stood yeah. out to me when you first, uh, when we first chatted the first time was um, just like the way you grade your footage. So I'd love to yeah. ask you specifically about color. Um, yeah. What, what are you doing there? Like, I guess maybe start by telling us, you know, the, what kind of cameras you're using. Cause that's always kind of an important, kind of baseline to know like what you're shooting with and then what what is your process from i'm here at the wedding i'm filming all the way through to i'm delivering this footage just in terms of color yeah so um i shoot on panasonic cameras now um i shoot in natural profile which is quite flat i tweak it a little bit as well tweak the hue and the, the saturation and the contrast just so it's really flat but not quite log colors um with being shoot, being a Panasonic user, you can't rely on the autofocus or anything like that. So all my settings are completely manual, like white balance, um, exposure and everything like that. So 
In terms of color, as long as the white balance is okay in camera, um, I tend to either use a selection of my own LUTs that I've made. Uh, I actually make those in Lightroom. And um, what I do is I, I first I'll grab a still from the footage, import that into Lightroom, and then uh, tweak the colors to my liking. And then I use a tool called Export LUT, which will basically create a, a, a lookup table that I can use in Final Cut um, to, to basically get the colors exactly how I want them as if I'd edited them in Lightroom. Um, aside from that, I do have a few go-to LUT packs that I tend to rely on quite a lot just because I think consistency is really important. Um, so white and reverie LUTs, of course, I think they're top of everybody's list. Um, I really love their, their colors. So yeah, white and reverie, you can't really go wrong with, with their colors. Um, there's also another LUT pack that I use. I think it's called, I think it's by Vanessa and Ivo. Um, and I've seen some ones recently as well called uh, Forestry Films, which I really like as well. But generally, all I have to do is apply a lot and just tweak the the exposure up and down um, and maybe a little bit of, of color temperature and pretty much that's it. Yeah, and I, I assume you do that from like for each shot in the video from shot to shot. Yeah, I actually... Or how yeah. much, I guess, how much effort do you put into trying to make like all the shots like match it doesn't actually require that much work i think once you apply the lut and it kind of makes everything pretty much the same it's just really dialing down the exposure and the temperature so it saves a lot of time having to do that just copy copy the effect and then paste it onto every clip cool <laughs> so, yeah yeah it saves yeah, a lot of time that's pretty much what i do as well um, yeah i think just I have kind like... of depending on although i haven't you know what? It's like crazy. Like, so when I was shooting Canon, which I just stopped shooting Canon this year and now I'm oh, on yeah. the, I'm on the pocket 4k cameras. Um, uh, this is the first time that I'm really using, going to be using any LUTs. Um, yeah. so I haven't really been much of a LUT person in the past, but now that mm -hmm. I'm shooting in these film profiles or whatever, um, yeah. LUTs just seem to be the easiest way to get where I want to go in, yeah, in the definitely. fastest amount of time. Um, yeah, that's it. I think I, when, because I've been doing two weddings a week for the last few months, I think you, speed is key. If you, you I hate having um, backlogs of weddings to do. At the moment, I've got three to do, um, and it's really killing me having to know that I've got to sit down and do the process over and over again. But um, yeah, I, I can I can get through them pretty quick. Yeah, no, and that's and that's that's really good. And there is one thing I will say that I kind of miss so far about using the Canon cameras is like, mm. you pretty much have, you can almost have your shot right out of camera, out of camera and yeah. not really have to do very most, very much post. So I am curious to see how that's going to affect me going forward with shooting on the pockets and stuff like that. Um, mm. just because I'm like, Ooh, like I'm not going to have the footage just like ready to go. Like I'm actually yeah. going to have to put a little effort into that. Um, so I am yeah. a little nervous about that, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, obviously, um, coming from a Canon, com coming from Canon, you must've had, uh, did you use autofocus on Canon? So the dual pixel autofocus on the five D four and the one DX Mark two are awesome. Um, yeah. but I, did, I never, I honestly, I never really used them. And the reason was oh. 
because I loved having the Z Finder. Uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's basically like a little attachment that you put on the LCD screen. It's like a little viewfinder so you can see like the LCD screen like when you're outside and stuff. But I pretty much use that all the time. I was like addicted yeah. to that because it also like helps stabilize the footage when you're on a monopod and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So for me, it was like, well, I can't access the dual pixel autofocus like the touchscreen if I've got this attachment on the back of the camera so yeah. it didn't really make a whole lot of sense for me to use it I did use it a couple times um, like I tried to use it for dances um, like you know father-daughter dance stuff like that um, but yeah. I would realize like I realized as soon as the faces would disappear because you get to a point in the dance where people are turning and moving and then both yeah. of their faces disappear and then the camera didn't know what to do. Like it wouldn't yeah. just stay focused on that one spot. It would start hunting yeah. for somewhere else, which yeah. I think they're going to fix that moving forward. And I think they already did it in another camera. I can't remember which one, um, but yeah, so that, that was kind of a turnoff for me. I think it works well for toast. It can work well for toast depending on the situation, but sometimes it'll, mm -hmm. it'll find another face and sometimes you'll have to like, keep correcting it which I, I don't know it's probably fine but uh i ended up not using it a ton but for on like gimbal stuff uh or if you're using a steady cam or a glide how did you find the um it's awesome what what about moving to manual focus on the um the pocket 4k oh yeah i mean it was i was pretty much just doing the same thing that i was on canon anyway because i was pretty much always using manual focus anyway okay um That's good. so yeah for me you know, I know a lot of people love autofocus. I, I see why, like, I wish, I wish I had a little bit easier time using that. Um, mm. but I, it's, it's an awesome feature. I, I just never really used it. And I know that you should pretty much shoot manual everything and everybody should be shooting a manual white balance for sure. Don't ever put that on auto. Um, yeah, but, I did uh, try it, but <laughs> yeah, I would I would say almost never put white balance on auto unless you have yeah. like some sort of reason for it, I suppose. But um, yeah, like tell me a little bit about because I know people love autofocus, but I'm mm -hmm. I've always been shooting manual, and I just don't really see myself. Yeah, I I, mean, I, I don't know. So I will say the Pocket 4K does have autofocus in the sense that you can tap to focus and it'll focus yeah. on a certain point which is kind of nice if but again I'm, i've got another viewfinder on the back of my pocket 4k i've got this giant loop that i look through now so i have to take that off in order to access stuff so again i'm not really using the autofocus yeah i think with um if, if i had good autofocus i'd probably use it probably for uh, shots like the confetti shots where where there's a lot of movement um but I don't have that luxury on Panasonic cameras at the moment. So uh, generally what I tend to do, I'm, I'm shooting on the S1 now. I um, also have the GH5 and the GH5S. Um, I just wanted to switch over to full frame. It's, the image quality is lovely, but then there is not very many lenses out there and I don't really want to use adapted lenses at the moment. Um, so yeah, I mean, I put my S1 and GH5S on a Ronin all day. Um, for like 14 hours is very, very heavy, but uh, I've kind of got used to it. I think when, when you're doing two a week or one a week, your body just gets used to that. Um, and then with the little focus wheel on the Ronin, 
that's all I use for manual focus and that's that's it really just trying to keep keep everything in focus um obviously if during confetti shots I can't be shooting at 1.4 so normally shoot dial that down to like 2.8 uh just to try and keep as much in focus as I can but yeah aside from that I really I think actually having using manual focus gives you a lot more of a cinematic look because you get those bits where it kind of goes in and out of focus I think if it's if it's if people are in focus all the time, it can look a little bit artificial. Um, that's that's me trying to justify the the manual focus anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I and I saw like when I watch your stuff, I'm like, oh, he's on. I, like, how how much time would you say you spend on the Ronin? Uh, all day. So, like, fourteen hours. Okay, so you're pretty much just on it like the whole time. Yeah, my my um, S one hasn't come off the Ronin since I bought it. So uh, I I do use for the toasts or speeches as we call them here. We I use um, GH five on a tripod and then I just sort of move around the room with the with the Ronin. Um, the with the S one, people have criticised the the crop in. I don't know if you know about this. The crop in six in sixty frames a second. Yeah, I have. Uh, so I got a friend who's actually been on the show before, Dustin Stelly, who loves. Well, he, uh, I don't know. He's been a Panasonic user forever, and I think he's going to switch to the Pocket 4K. But or he, I think he wants the 6K. But um, yeah, yeah. He was telling me he was like super excited about the S1 until they announced it, and then I asked him why he wasn't excited anymore, and he was, I, I think, upset about the crop. So. Well, I think if you can use that to your advantage, um, then, because I, I use it for extra reach. So during toasts, I can actually sit at the table or, or use it to get in. So I, at the moment, I've been shooting just on a 50 mil 1.4, um, which is a Panasonic S Pro lens. It's my favorite. Um, if I need a bit of extra reach, then I just... I save the the modes to custom dials. So I've got like a C1, a C2, and C3. I just flick between those, and then I've got the crop mode. Um, and then obviously for the rest of it, I can shoot it in 1080p without a crop. So it gives you a little bit of an extra reach. So I think you can use that. You can you can turn that into an advantage, and then you have like a 50 and then a a 70 equivalent um, on the same camera. So I think I think you have to just work with what what you've got. I think with um, cameras, the, the one of the best in terms of mirrorless. Um, and the the image quality is great, but there are limitations that you just have to work around. But the menus are super easy to use. The colors are great. The battery life is fantastic. Uh, yeah, I just I think just if you stick to what you know, then I think you can be more efficient. And I'm I'm scared to switch systems just because the lenses won't fit. And I'm I'm used to <laughs> I'm used to using Panasonic now, so I'm just gonna just gonna stick with that for now. Hopefully, they'll bring out some improvements to the autofocus with firmware. But I can I can only hope. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I feel the same way about like, once you find something that works for you, just stick with it. Um, yeah. And that's why I was with Canon for so long. And honestly, I mean, we'll see what they do with their new one DX Mark three when that gets announced. I, there's a possibility I would switch back. Um, yeah. Just, just for wedding stuff, probably not for any of the other work that I'm doing, but um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think uh, yeah, it's, I'm like looking through your Instagram. I'm seeing all these photos of you holding the Ronin. 
Oh, yeah. How does that feel <laughs> like? So after like after you're shooting for ten hours, like what is that? Yeah. Is it, I don't do know. you have any yeah. sort of supporting device, or do you find that you don't no. really need it? Like it's really not that bad, or what are your thoughts? Well, on? what I do is I normally wear a belt or a um, a, a, do you call it a fanny pack? Yeah, uh, yeah. So I've got a fanny pack which I keep my ND filters in and extra memory cards. So with that around your waist, if you fold the Ronin tripod legs down into a pole you can just rest that on your hip um that's yeah that's how i support it Uh, i I think getting used to it um the earlier on in the wedding season my arms were really aching after each one and my legs were aching because obviously you're doing a lot of crouching and sometimes you're crawling on the floor if you're in a field or all these crazy things that we do to get shots um yeah i think i've just i've built up stamina in my right arm (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah no that that makes sense yeah. it's uh it's just a workout so yeah exactly uh, cool um so so since you're on the ronin like most of the day or pretty much all mm. the all the time almost all um yeah it's do you have an assistant who's like helping you um with toasts or like the moments where you you're not going to be next to the like, I, I guess I don't know quite how you shoot your ceremonies and your toasts. Yeah. So maybe talk a yeah. little bit about how you go about um, filming that stuff either by yourself or with, with the help of someone else. Yeah. So I tend to shoot pretty much 99% of everything myself. I have had a few assistants this year um, help me out for experience, which has been really cool. Um, what I tend to do in my bag, I bring a tripod, the GH5 or the GH5S, um, and that it, those are my... Um, my toast cameras uh, because they have the, I think it's called a telephoto function. You can actually crop in even more on the GH5 too. So if, if the lens that I have mounted to that for the toast would be the Sigma 18 to 35 with a Metabones uh, speed booster. Um, and I just, I think the key is just being prepared, like be ready five minutes before or five, 10 minutes before this, the toasts are going to start, make sure you've got mics on who you need to mic up make sure you've got backup audio as well um the 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 last wedding i did last friday i'm using the the sony uh, tx 650s do you know the little um the little stick microphones that you can just pop in a pocket do you know which ones i mean uh i have not seen that but i'm googling it right now okay sony tx 650 they're a game changer um they're just really small. They're like the size of a pack of gum voice recorder. So I just pop them into people's pockets or for toast. If they're using a wireless microphone, I tend to use a little Velcro strip. Um, just Velcro this audio recorder to the microphone they're going to use. And then you get crystal clear audio. Um, even if the person puts the microphone by their waist or if the microphone is cutting out, you're still getting that good feed. Yeah. That's a, uh, so how do you, uh, so just so I'm clear, um, yeah. cause I hadn't really considered strapping like a little device like this to the microphone. Yeah. How, how are you doing that in a way where it's like super quick and easy? Like, is it, so, yeah, yeah, I before... guess just tell me about the Velcro setup. <laughs> yeah. So I actually learned this trick off, um, off of another videographer on YouTube and I have a, in my fanny pack, I've got a little Velcro loop, uh, before the speeches or sometimes even when I get to a new venue in the morning, I say, hi, um, the videographer for today, can I please have a plug socket to charge my stuff? And please, can I see the microphone that you're going to use for the speeches? <laughs> so yeah, I just find the mic, Velcro my recorder to it. And then 10 minutes before the speeches start, 
I just hit record and then you don't have to worry about it again. But yeah, when, so I guess what I'm saying is like when you Velcro, tell me exactly how you're Velcroing that mic to the other handheld. So it's basically like a, a loop that I got off eBay. Um, they just, you pull it through and you tighten it real tight and the Velcro just helps it stay like a, it just catches onto the this, the clip on the microphone. It has a like a belt clip. Oh yeah, I see um, that. So I'm looking so at you, the TX650 right now, and on the back the of this microphone, guys, it does have like a little, uh, like a little okay. clip. Yeah. So I just clip that to the loop, tighten it as tight as I can, and hopefully it doesn't fall off. But that it really de uh, depends on what kind of microphone they're using at the venues because sometimes if they're like in shape, it does always stay on so i think i need to get some black electrical tape or something just to double up um but at least with the velcro it just kind of whips off and you can you can take it off really quick and uh put it back in your pocket but the, yeah. the last wedding i shot on friday i got home um that night and i didn't notice it until sunday that i'd actually left one of the microphones at the venue so because they're so small they're really easy to forget um so I phoned them and they were closed and I was panicking because all of the speeches and the ceremony audio was on that. And uh, even though I had a backup, this was going to be the cleanest, the cleanest um, feed. And luckily they found it um, and it was just about to go in with the laundry of the tablecloths. So I managed to go back and get it just before <laughs> it, it went through the, the washing machine. So oh, yeah, thankfully, thankfully I managed to save that one, but that was the first time I left anything anywhere. But yeah. Yeah, I've, lo I've left oh, a couple pieces. I've, I've, I've lost it, but yeah. they are so small, so just make sure you don't lose them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know the experience of leaving stuff at a venue. Sometimes you get it back, sometimes you don't. But uh, okay, so are you yeah. getting any like handling noise off of that? Like when, like people, because I just imagined like people who are holding the microphone are kind of like rubbing their hands against this recorder. And I, yeah, so. Sometimes I have had the look of fear um, on my face where somebody's picked up the microphone, they're concentrating on speaking and they've got their hand right over the, the top. And I'm thinking, shit, but you can't interrupt the somebody speaking, say, move your hand. Right, um, right. But do you know what? It sounds great even if they have the hand over it. And I, I've even, I've got uh, two or three of these devices and um, I sometimes put one, I put one on the groom, put one um on the the officiant i think you call it the registrar um during the ceremony and sometimes they even put it in their clipboard and it even under pages and pages of paper it still manages to pick pick up sound so i definitely recommend everybody who's listening that's that's thinking of getting some kind of audio device that's going to save them in these kind of situations definitely check those out because they are the real deal and they're not expensive either they're they're about 80 pounds so that's probably about 90 dollars yeah, yeah, it's, it looks like they're like uh, about a hundred bucks here in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, very cool, man. Yeah, so I've been using the Tascam DR10s, uh, the, yeah. the Lav mics, which I'm sure you're familiar. I feel like everybody's familiar with those by now. Yeah. Uh, but this is also an interesting alternative and possibly like yeah. a, a good backup for those as well. Definitely, um, I think with with audio, you just got to have backup, haven't you? Because you never know when something's going to be rubbing on the microphone or if there's wind noise or whatever so I, I normally have about two or three backup audio sources i'm using the the rode wireless go as well now the the really small little square thing that sits on top of the camera yeah 
I will say the only thing I don't like about those is that if I, I'm known to like, especially if you're using DSLR, like Panasonic or whatever, does Panasonic have a record limit? I can't remember. Uh, only, no, the GH5 and GH5S doesn't have a record limit. The yeah. only thing is that the S1 does have a record limit in 60 FPS, but the S1H, the more video centric one that they've just released, doesn't have any record limits, even in 6K. So, uh, so for the most part, no. Yeah, I, I would say the only thing that I worry about with the like wireless systems where it just feeds right into your camera is like sometimes yeah. I stop the recording. Sometimes I start and stop for whatever reason, or like on the Canon cameras, you got like a record limit of 30 minutes. So you got to start and yeah. stop the camera. And it's like, I used to do it. So I was like timing it for when nobody was talking. And then yeah. I kind of realized like, yeah, I'm pretty good at it, but it didn't always work. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to cope with that. I'd be way too nervous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I kind of learned, I was like, oh, I'm just going to have a continuous auto recording with these DR10s. But yeah, yeah. I mean... Yeah, I used I used the Road Link system for a while too, which I think is like <laughs> their older version the of what ones. you have. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the the small one is good, but the the one thing I noticed with it is that if the uh, groom turns around and the back his back is facing the camera, it doesn't work. It cuts out, so you can't rely on that either. So I think oh, okay. a, a clear line of sight. So yeah, backups are important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, man, I'm just like looking through your stuff and I really, I'm loving the colors. I'm loving a lot of things. I I've noticed that there's a couple pictures of you at weddings. Yeah. Who's taking, I, I assume since you don't, you're not bringing anybody with you. That's just like yeah. the, the photographer who's there is taking a couple pictures of you. Do you, do you ask them to do that or how does that work? Sometimes they, well, yeah, I would never ask because I'm not the kind of person that asks for that kind of stuff. But I'm not I think when you, yeah, when you have a good relationship with the photographer, even if it's your first time working with them, I think they, they're just, if they're fun and they just, they know that you're part of the day. Um, and yeah, they just take them for me, which is, is really good. I think for me, with a, I, I would never be a photographer because I, I'm not that confident. Um, but working with photographers is really change things for me like making sure you have a good relationship with them um helping each other out if you can and i sometimes i do some video as well for photographers just so that they've got some content for them too so i think i think because of instagram everyone is aware of content that they've got to post i think they're just repaying the favor for me um so yeah nice kind of images i I also on that point when i first started my instagram i didn't have any stuff about me um but I found that being yourself on your social media channels is really important and it's definitely helped my videography career because I think couples want to invest in the person, not only your work. Um, they want to see who they're going to be choosing for their wedding day, who they're going to be spending the most important day of their life with. I think having your personality come across and being a fun person is really important uh, to you know make people feel relaxed and comfortable around you so they're they're just kind of little introductions of me having fun doing my job um so they can they can learn a bit more about you and just see how you work really i think it's nice to be able to to show that, that kind of angle so yeah so yeah. tell me a little bit about that you said you like to get to um you essentially like to get get that connection with your clients how, how do you do that when we're talking about 
like the couples that are booking you, how are you building relationships with them? So when most of my um, bookings come from referrals, uh, it's always, most of the time, it's the bride that gets in touch. And I just, I'm quite chatty. Like, even though I'm going to do a good job, I try and keep things quite casual and friend friendly. Um, quite often, we'll be messaging on WhatsApp just with updates on their wedding. And they'll ask me for their opinion on colors or other suppliers and things like that. So I try and have a really friendly rapport with my with my brides that also helps them when they tell their bridesmaids about who they've got shooting their wedding they can then relax too um and yeah i think just maintaining the professionalism but being friendly at the same time really helps people relax it's almost like they've got a friend shooting their wedding as well and i i keep in touch with a lot of my brides after the wedding too um so i've had some really special experiences this year uh, really incredible weddings well it's quite funny as well as i do cry quite a lot at my weddings. I te- I think because I'm quite a, a sensitive person, I get wrapped up in the emotion, and people are asking why is why is the videographer crying? And, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm, just, yeah. I'm, I'm just in touch with my emotions, I guess. <laughs> yeah, every once in a while, there'll be one of those moments at a wedding where I'm like, oh man, I think my viewfinder is gonna get fogged up here. Yeah, I know, but I think I think people remember that as well. And there's a phrase that. Um, that I really love and it's it's that um, people they won't remember what you did but they remember how you made them feel and I think that's really important for wedding um, suppliers because it's such a personal thing that they've chosen you for their day out of the hundreds of people that they could have they could have picked they've chosen you for a reason and I think having your personality shine through um, is really important so yeah it's just to give a bit of me have a bit of fun I, I don't take myself too seriously I like to I like to mess about but get the job done and I think making people laugh as well is is key because then you're going to get natural laughter so sometimes I tell silly jokes um just to get people to be themselves and if they're themselves in front of the camera then you know you're going to capture those natural those natural shots yeah we had uh Josh Helton on the last episode and if you guys haven't listened to that you should definitely check it out it's a great interview um but yeah, he was talking about, you know, how he's he's essentially got this like sensitive side of him and he yeah. tries to use that when he's editing. And uh, yeah. I I think it is important when you're when you're filming like these day these events that are supposed to be these very emotional things like, you know, if you walk into it with zero emotion, then you're just going to be pointing the camera at people. And it's not going to yeah. feel like anything and your edits aren't yeah. going to feel like anything. So you, there is yeah. that kind of part of you where you have to, you do have to, I, I guess, be in touch with that side of, yeah. of yourself. Um, I, so I know you do style shoots. Um, tell me a little bit about how you organize those, put to get those together and maybe a little bit about why, why you do style mm. shoots. Cause I feel like, <sighs> I feel like people have always done them, but I've yeah. never really had an interest, nor have I like, but maybe I don't have an interest because I don't understand the benefits of them. Right. So yeah. maybe talk to me a little bit about that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. So first of all, they're really good fun. Um, I've never actually organized one myself, but I, I nearly did, uh, but I had to postpone it. Um, and it is quite a lot of hard work 
organizing all of the suppliers as well. So I kind of just leave those to other people now and I turn up with my Ronin. Um, but basically, <laughs> nice. out, out of wedding season, um, when we all need content for our websites and Instagram and getting really nice new styled shots and having spending a bit more time with models and getting details like stationery, um, flowers, dresses, jewelry, that kind of thing. Um, they're just a really good portfolio builder, basically. That's that's really what helped me learn a lot in terms of couple posing as well this year. Um, so generally, local suppliers will either know of videographers or they'll ask for recommendations of videographers. And that's kind of how I've gotten into the style shoots this year. Uh, so I did my first one in January this year, um, which was featured in a wedding blog as well, which is really cool. The, the main purpose really for exposure because everybody works for free on them. They're trade for print, so you, you, they're not paid. You broke up just um, a little bit. So, so You broke up just oh, a little sorry. bit, so I want to make sure that we, we got that part. You said the, the main purpose is for exposure. Yeah, so the main purpose is for exposure. The, the organizer of the style shoot generally wants to get them featured in a wedding blog or a magazine. Um, and then these blogs sometimes have like 100,000 followers on Instagram um, or a regular reach on their web websites. Um, so, yeah, we all kind of come together, collaborate free of charge. We get a couple models. It works even better if they're a real real life couple because the chemistry is always better. Um, we choose the the uh, the the bridal gowns, um, the flutes and everything, it all becomes styled from a mood board. Um, I mean, for me, it's really easy because I just have to turn up and shoot it on the day and just improvise things as they go along. But yeah, the, I'd say the, the, the photographer has the toughest job because they've got to remember to capture every little detail. Um, but for me, I really love doing them because it gives, you, gives me creative control in terms of how I want to make the mood of the video you can try out different techniques and spend a bit more time um on things that you wouldn't get time to do on a wedding day um you can make them as upbeat or as uh, slow as you like and yeah you just get to just try out cool things and even though they're not paid they're yeah i love doing them i've, I've tried to say no to most of them now for this year uh, just because weddings have to take priority but i have got a few more that I have snuck in towards the end of this year. So, how, how did yeah. you go about learning like posing? Um, I think people who've listened to this podcast, including yourself, probably know that I've like, I've kind yeah. of, I wouldn't say I've, I've trashed it, but I've definitely made it clear that I don't love doing it. I think yeah. to be honest, though, part of it's just because I've, I don't feel like I'm good at it. So yeah. maybe I maybe that's something that I need to learn how to do. So how how have you learned to to do that? Well, I think I'm still learning. Actually, I actually asked one of my um, photographer friends, Rebecca Carpenter, uh, recently. How I need I said to her, I need more ideas on how to pose my couples because I'm kind of doing the same ones over and over, and I'm thinking oh, I need to switch it up a bit. She gave me some advice, and she actually runs a, um, a workshop where people can for photographers where they can learn about posing models posing couples sorry um and different techniques on how to get the most out of the the day um so yeah she she taught me a few techniques i'm still learning that's probably one thing that i am still not a hundred percent 
confident in. Um, I pick a lot up from photographers because that's one of the main parts of the, the portrait session on the day. So I'm still I'm still learning that. Um, but yeah, I just just kind of see what happens. And if the photographer has got them in a good pose, the couple, then you can sometimes modify that or tweak that or say, can you do that again for me, but with a bit of movement? Because even though when you're shooting a wedding, you still need movement because otherwise you're going to end up getting the same shots as the photographer. Um, so my, a couple of my favorite poses would be forehead to forehead. I use that one quite a lot. Um, one, maybe the, the bride leading the groom or the groom leading the bride through a field is another popular one if you have that. Um, and I think it's nice as well during the portrait session just for the couple to have five to ten minutes just by them, not by themselves, well, by themselves, but with me and the photographer, um, just to have some time to relax and just have a moment together. And it's really nice if we can capture that naturally. So yeah, capturing stuff naturally is the way to go. But I think posing is something that you just kind of learn with experience. And yeah, I have looked up a few YouTube videos on it, but I didn't really get much from those. I think just practice, practice, practice. Yeah. How, how much time do you typically spend with the couple doing that posing kind of stuff on the wedding day? Um, it really depends how much time we have because they're normally in between the toasts for the um, for the evening posing. So probably 20 minutes maximum. Um, and obviously myself and the photographer, we've got to get we've both got to get the stuff we need. So, yeah, about about 20 minutes before they go back for dessert or um, if they're having the toast later on. Yeah, it's always it's really tricky timings because if on the rare days that we get golden hours here we want to take advantage of that most of the time it's cloudy or rainy um but this year we've been really lucky with golden hours i've had some really nice ones but yeah it's just trying to get that timing before the sun goes down because that's the only time you're going to get a golden hour on their day so yeah i think just fitting it in where you can and seeing what the couple's expectations are sometimes they're more than happy to drop everything because they know that these pictures are going to be and the video is going to be the shots that they're going to really cherish yeah and one of the things i kind of noticed when i was looking through your work is um every once in a while i see a shot of a photographer and it kind of looks like a behind the scenes kind of shot and yeah so i kind of i i feel like this year man this year i just had i've had so many photographers that are just like i'm like a very laid back relaxed person and my yeah, i always feel like i'm like I'm just one of those people who feels guilty if I get in the photographer shot because I don't want to be yeah. in it and I don't want them to be yeah, in my too. shot. So I try to just, yeah. you know, I try to just not be in their shots. And I don't, I feel like it's not always reciprocated, especially this year for me. It's just been like, it's been kind of a nightmare. And yeah. I've started to think to myself, well, I'm not always going to be able to keep them out of my shots. So maybe yeah. I need to make them a part of like, intentionally make them a part of the video and so yeah. i did notice like in a few of your um shots you've basically got some like ronin shots going around like the photographer shooting the couple or or whatever and uh yeah yeah i i think that's great and it's a it's a great way to kind of just be i don't know it, it almost is like it's a little more realistic, right? It's like instead of yeah, trying definitely. to force it and pretend like there was no photographer there or keep them yeah. out of the shot, like there's little ways that you can kind of make that feel more natural. Yeah. Um, I think also because a lot of if, – if the couple didn't 
what photographer they're choosing and that there's a reason why they have that photographer there if they're part of the day then they're part of the day and i think capturing it naturally is is important and like when they watch these videos in 10 years time they're going to be like oh do you remember our photographer they were really good or um that kind of stuff i don't think that you can hide the fact that the suppliers bring the day together um so if a lot of the ones you may have seen on my instagram as well they may be from style shoots where i've intentionally captured them um or they may just be in some shots of the the wedding but yeah i don't if if the shot's good and the photographer's in it then it's not the end of the world and i think it's nice um to just include everybody that was part of it yeah i, I agree yeah it, it looks good man I, re I really like that aspect um Man, time is flying by. I, I got a couple more questions for you and then we'll get into like where people can find you and get yeah. in touch with you and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I know that, uh, sorry, I take, I take, I love taking notes. Uh, yeah. the problem is I take so many notes that I, then I have to read back through them. Um, yeah. <laughs> tell me a little bit about how, you know, you kind of already mentioned that over in the UK, like people aren't really doing as much cinematic is stuff. Is there, are there any other differences between, um, you know, kind of what's going on in the UK versus the U S I, I pretty much always talk about U S based stuff here. So mm. I'm kind of interested to, to hear about, you know, differences between the market here versus the market there. Yeah, I think there's, um, stylistically, there's a lot of differences. I think uh, the US videos, the couples tend to seem a lot more confident, I suppose. Um, we don't do things like first look so much over here, but I'm really heavily influenced by the US style. I think it's a really fun style and the energetic vibe that the videos have that is kind of coming over this way a lot more. Um, with, I think I'll say budget, what what's the average what would you say is the average um budget for a wedding video in the u.s i mean i think that's probably gonna vary by state like i'm guessing in california if you're in a place like la and places like that the budget's probably a little bit higher um yeah. if you're in a place where people have like the whether there's a high concentration of people with money like new york city or something like that you're gonna find yeah. the budgets can be higher i think in mm. colorado i mean I, the, I would say the average budget for people who get in touch with me, not necessarily book me, but people who get in touch with me, I don't think yeah. most people really plan on spending more than $3,000 on a wedding video. That doesn't mean yeah. they don't, but they certainly yeah. don't. They never, they don't plan for it. Um, I would yeah. say most couples don't. I think in the UK, you'd probably have to halve that. And that would probably be most people's average budget at a push. Um, so yeah i think i think people are starting to value it a lot more over here over um in comparison to their photos as well because photographers you know they're not they're not a good photographer isn't cheap and i think that the video is kind of becoming more and more important quite often people are booking their video videographer first um and then asking for a recommendation on photographer or all the other way around but yeah i think the us the american um Wedding videos have always inspired me. I think White and Reverie I have a lot. I have a lot to to thank them for in terms of their style. Obviously, I'm not. I'm nowhere near that level yet. But um, there's something. Their videos are something that I uh, aspire to. In the UK, a lot of wedding videos are kind of just tripod shots, silhouette shots. Not very much movement, um, or they're shaky. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I just find them quite 
depressing, I suppose. And a lot of them are quite somber, sad piano music. And that's where I think having pop music and uh, more up-tempo stuff makes them a bit more fashionable and more fun. I think that's really important in terms of styling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think combining that with like the colors, like you mentioned, like making everything really feel, I mean, like I look at your stuff and I think, oh, this feels like really like joyful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, if people, are, people are having fun, aren't they? So that's, I think it's important to reflect that. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about where people can, can find you, email you, get in touch with you. Yeah, so probably the best place to see my latest work would be um, on my Instagram. So my Instagram handle is at RKN underscore Ariel. That's A-E-R-I-A-A-E-R-L underscore imaging. RKN Ariel Imaging. Um, or on my YouTube channel as well. So it's, um, my name is Russell K. Nichols on YouTube. Uh, yeah, yeah that's probably the best place or my website but yeah youtube and instagram are the best place to to catch me really and if if anyone has any questions or anything please do send me a, an instagram message awesome man yeah well like i said before i i really appreciate you taking the time to do this and i know this has probably been pretty helpful for some people out there um whether you're just getting started or if you've been doing this for a while um yeah thank you yeah it's it's been awesome so hopefully we can have you back on in a future episode yeah, that'd be amazing. Maybe next year or something when everything's changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything will be a hundred percent different. We can just like yeah. we we'll be we filming can... in we'll be filming in eight K. Yeah. Um Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right guys, hope you enjoyed my chat with Russell of RK and Aerial Imaging. Make sure you follow him on Instagram. Uh, he's doing some cool stuff, posting some cool stuff. And like I said, I really like his color grades and uh, everything that he's doing uh, over there in the UK. So, oh man. Well, with that, I've got a ton of editing to get back to doing, a ton of work to do, ton of uh, babysitting the in-laws, ton of uh, cooking and cleaning and all the stuff that goes along with domesticated life. Uh, to get back to. So uh, until next time, guys, later. Later.